And until we are all united in this fight together as one voice, letting people know that this is this systemic issue, it's not going to change. And we cannot let people stop thinking about it and moving on to the next issue because it's only going to get worse years from now. And we're only going to see more women needing more assistance to start their businesses. Ending small business failure. Welcome to the Small Biz Chat Podcast with the number one small business expert, Melinda Emerson. Melinda's goal is to end small business failure, and she'll give you the information you need to succeed and live the life you dream of. Now, here's the small biz lady herself, Melinda Emerson. Hi, everybody. I'm Melinda Emerson, small biz lady, America's number one small business expert. And I'm so excited to welcome you to another episode of the Small Biz Chat podcast. We have an amazing show for you tonight. The Small Biz Chat podcast is a peer-to-peer interview show. We're really focused on getting you information to take your business to the next level, which is why we bring in several guests so that you can learn from multiple different angles. The mission of the Small Biz Chat podcast is to end small business failure. And we've been doing it for a lot of years and we're not going to stop. So now at this time, let me introduce my guest. Her name is Renee Johnson. She is an advocate, policymaker, and innovative strategist with over 15 years advocating for women of color in politics, policy, entrepreneurship, and leadership. As the co-director of Reimagine Main Street and senior advisor to public-private strategies, Renee Johnson develops innovative strategies that impact small business needs with a focus on access to capital, especially for business owners of color. Renee's tenure includes serving as the training director at the United States of Women and serving as the District of Columbia's Department of Human Services Director of Legislative Policy in a variety of roles. Renee, welcome to the Small Business Podcast. Thank you so much for having me here tonight, Melinda. Truly appreciate it. All right. So talk to us. I know that you are the co-director of the Reimagine Wall Street, uh, re, excuse me, Reimagine Main Street. Well, we got to reimagine Wall Street too. <laughs> right, right. Wall Street is part of the problem. We'll get to them later. But tell me what is your initiative? Tell me what it is, how you guys created it, and what is your long-term goal, you know, with the organization? Yeah. So- You know, the start of COVID, everyone was just like, what is this? What is COVID? What, how does this impact my life? We were seeing people getting sick. Businesses were shutting down. People were, you know, not being good constituents to our partners in the AAPI community. They were being just really racist to, to people in Chinatowns across the country. If we all really remember, we were like, what is this, this coming over to the United States? And we were seeing different from Chinatowns, Main Streets, Cesar Chavez ways that were shutting down. And so we did was we were like, we need to make sure that minorities are at the center of recovery because we saw 
very clearly at the beginning when Congress came into action with the PPP, the COVID Idol, and all the other relief programs, many minority or small businesses were not getting funded. So the small businesses and their workers, we want to make sure that they rebound from the COVID-19 crisis and their communities thrive, right? Benefits ripple throughout the economy for everyone. We, we are a multi-stakeholder, cross-sector initiative focused on advancing and uplifting innovative solutions with dialogue and data to ensure that these communities, regardless if you're on MLK, Cesar Chavez Way, Chinatowns, and Main Streets, are at that center of recovery. And so Reimagine Main Street, we are a project of Public Private Strategies Institute. And our long-term goal making sure we're still at that center of recovery because we're not out of this yet, right? We don't know if a new variant is coming. We just heard today that there's Delta Omicron. I don't know what kind of transformer that is, but hey, there's more that may be coming and meets the eye. And we want to make sure that as we continue on with trying to figure out where we are, that small businesses that are impacted are definitely getting resources, help, and assistance. So they're not at the beginning of COVID where they were. So I know one of the initiatives that you guys launched was this Backing Black Business program. Tell me about that and, you know, how did you fund it and and who did it help? Yeah, so the Backing Black Business, say that three times fast, Small Business Grants Program is one of our projects. And it was dedicated to ensure Black women-owned businesses and others nationwide achieve an equitable recovery from the economic impacts of COVID-19. The program awarded $2 million in cash grants, right? So straight cash, not any kind of like, you know, coupons or you could use this on a wife, you know, no, straight cash grants. And they range from $5,000 to $50,000 to more than 200 Black women small business owners and entrepreneurs who either started their businesses during the pandemic or who prayerfully and thankfully successfully navigated their businesses through the pandemic. And as we all know, COVID-19 hit Black women businesses across the country very, very hard. And now as signs of recovery are starting to emerge, Black women are starting new businesses at record rates, and we recognize the power of Black women-owned businesses. By providing these cash grants, advertising support, and other valuable resources to these women who launched their businesses or who have made it through, We can collectively fuel the aspirations and boost the trajectory of these 200 Black women entrepreneurs across the country. We're really excited about this. We just know that this has really impacted in some way someone's life, and we're just excited that we have this opportunity. Uh, We worked with Meta, who powered this, formerly known as Facebook, and we are actually going to do another round of $2 million dollars later this year for AAPI small businesses. So there's more to come on that too later. Now, when you say API, is that Asian American? Is that that Asian American? Yes. And I know that this is airing later, but as we're talking is the day is a one year anniversary of the unfortunate incident that happened in Atlanta with the spa incident where eight workers were unfortunately lost their life to, you know, racial biases. And so that's why it's so important that we work together and talk to different communities and uplift these small business owners and their workers to ensure that they're not only safe, uh, but they're provided these resources so that their communities are able to thrive throughout COVID-19 as well. 
Good stuff. Good stuff. So let's talk about access to capital, because no matter where I go, no matter what conversation I get into, when we start talking about what makes small businesses struggle, particularly women and minority businesses, it is this issue of access to capital. And what we know is that 8,000 small business loans are turned down every day in America, 8,000. So what is being done from an advocacy standpoint to figure out some new models for how lending is done? Because I believe that credit scoring has really become a very punitive thing for people. And I don't know about you, but most of the people that I know that have bootstrapped their business, they might have a $5 million business now, but they've missed two mortgage payments and that stuff is on their credit for forever, right? So I just feel like when are we going to look at some different models? Because I just, I have heard of businesses, multi-million dollar businesses getting turned down from loans because they say the business owner is too personally leveraged or because of credit scoring. And what is being done about this to give people, you know, greater access to capital? So we can talk about this until we're blue in the face. And unfortunately, that's what's happening because Dodd-Frank, right, is a piece of legislation that happened prior to me going to college, I believe. So that's how long it's been. And if you know Senator Dodd and Senator Frank, that's how long, or Congressman, excuse me, that's how long it's been. Um, they actually had initiative 1071, which is a section within this piece of legislation that actually talked about how small business loans and credit should be sort of like the data collection from banks. And essentially, we're supposed to, at this point in time, know exactly who is actually getting denied. So whether you're a woman, you're a Hispanic man, you are 25, what type of business, all of these demographic points are supposed to be collected. And unfortunately, it's never been implemented. Never been implemented. So we can't even get to how do we create solutions for real, for real, because banks aren't even held to this accountability standard. So 1071, there are many organizations that are working to do the work. There has been rulemaking now to actually try to push this further. The CFPB is working to, to try to, to do something with this now and implement it. So there's some sort of standard here now. And then also going back to the PPP, the Paycheck Protection Plan that came out, as we all know, there wasn't any data collection at first, right? So we didn't know who was getting it, but we knew who was getting it, right? right. And so once it was exposed, Congress came back and was like, oh, okay, well, now we'll, we'll institute some reporting requirements. And so now banks are required to collect certain data requirements. And then all of a sudden we had to provide alternative opportunities for those who did not meet specific criteria with normal banking or traditional banks because they actually use 7A. And if you know anything about 7A, usually, for the most part, statistically did not allow for communities of color to get loans. So if you didn't get a 7A loan normally, you weren't going to get a PPP. So right there, institutionally, we have created loopholes, if you will, for minority communities, women businesses to not have access during COVID, right? right. So right then and there, we see the problem. So 
we need to fix those stock gaps. Now, after we do that, we know that there's a meeting CDFIs, community financial deposit and tour institutions that are working to assist minority of small businesses. There's MDIs, there's black banks out there that want to be able to provide assistance to small business owners of color. So there's, there's those opportunities. But I want to stop you right there because I'm in Philadelphia and I know that there are there's a lot of money in this town, but there's a lot of CDFIs that have policies more stringent than the bank. These people are holding on to their money and not making loans either. Or if they do, you know, frankly, some of their terms are rather draconian, almost like some of the merchant advance lenders. So oh, well, that, that's a problem. That is a problem, but I don't think that's being looked at. And I think there was so much money that was pushed out to the CDFIs. And I think just like every small business development center, is it the same? Every CDFI is not the created same. equal. <laughs> no, and so I think so. I think there's some opportunity there to look at what's going on because I think CDFIs they might deal with a, a slightly lower credit score, but I I just know people that don't want to call the CDFI either, right? So I just put that out there. But the other thing I wanted to ask you about is. I know right now there's a lot of focus on Black women entrepreneurs, and we know this is because Black women are starting businesses at four and a half times everyone else. However, I know that there's all these corporations that have made all these pledges, some have given out money and helped people, and a whole bunch of them just made pledges and haven't done anything. And so what I wanted to ask you was whether or not you think Black women are still going to be the focus of some of these public-private philanthropy efforts, you know, over the next three to five years? Or do you think this is a, you know, two-year thing and we're going to be out of this business and they're going to be on to the next thing? Um, as long as I'm out here, I'm going to be advocating for the next three to five years, the next 20, God willing. And I hope you are too, because you know why? Privilege allows power, allows access. And so for those who are able to go into a bank and have the ability and don't have to worry about using credit cards to fund their business, hey, great for you. Now come and join this party and this bandwagon and be a voice and echo what issues that we have. Because unfortunately, so many in our community have to do that. And until we are all united in this fight together as one voice, letting people know that this is this systemic issue, it's not going to change. And we cannot let people stop thinking about it and moving on to the next issue because it's only going to get worse years from now. And we're only going to see more women needing more assistance to start their businesses. I couldn't agree with you more. All right. My last question for you is what is the best business advice that you have ever received? So this is going to sound funny because my dad is a little funny. There's only one you, just like there's thousands of toilet paper companies. Everybody got to buy a bowl. So no matter what it is that your business is, there might be another one out there, but there's not a you. So do you make that business happen? Because no one could do your business like you. Charmin has competitors, but when you go to the store, guess what you do? You make a decision every time. If Charmin costs a little too much, you may go with their competitor. So make sure your business is dedicated for you because there's only one you. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Renee Johnson, for being here. I have really enjoyed talking with you and learning more about the work that you're doing. And I'm definitely out here advocating with you alongside you all the way. Renee, what is your favorite podcast? 
shameless plug, you probably didn't know, I have my own podcast, the Rose Hour podcast, where we talk about wine. Love it. And I talk wow. to different wine makers from across the world that are small business owners. Check it out today, the Rose Hour podcast. Love it. Love it. Shameless plug. I'm not mad at you. All right. What is your favorite business app? My favorite business app. Okay. Right now it is, I'm going to it, Asana, because it keeps me so organized and I can organize <laughs> other people and I, I'm type A. I couldn't have guessed that. Right. All right. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> Renee, what's your favorite business book? Going historical, 48 Laws of Power. That was a good one. That was a good one. And the 50th Law of Power was actually really good too by 50 Cent, believe it or not. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you again to my guests. If you're working on your digital pivot, be sure to check out Small Biz Lady University where you can sign up for my latest course, Social Media Selling. You can get everything you need to finally start developing and making the money that you deserve online. So go ahead and reserve your spot today at smallbizladyuniversity.com. You know, the mission of Small Biz Chat is to end small business failure. And I thank you for allowing me to inform your small business journey once again. And I'll leave you with this. You never lose in business. Either you win or you learn. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Small Biz Chat Podcast with Belinda Emerson. For more resources and small business success strategies, visit succeedasyourownboss.com. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and join us next Wednesday.